the subject that we were speaking about today is putting on and putting off. Actually, it's putting off and putting on. <laughs> putting off and putting on. And uh, it sounds a little too much like my practices for preparing for Sunday school. <laughs> I'm sure I'm the only one that puts off and puts on during kept trying to get ready to teach Sunday school. Paul speaks about uh, a, uh, a lot of things in Colossians, and um, he speaks a lot about how each one of us should live, how each one of us should live. Then he speaks about how we should live together. He preaches uh, a, a lot in this as well as teaching. It's real world teaching on the church practical Christianity, uh, marriage, family life. I mean, he covers it all, uh, seemingly, in Colossians. He tells us what we should stop doing. That's the putting off. And he tells us what we should start doing. That's the putting on. And in no uncertain terms. I mean, it is very, very clear. It's foundational. It's fundamental. We build upon the blocks that are placed in God's word as Paul wrote in Colossians as well as other places but we're talking about Colossians today the beginning principles of of the Colossian church are made quite clear in chapter 1 and we're going to take a look at some of those they're fundamental to everything else that uh, we are purposed to believe about God these are the things that we believe and if you believe on these things you're not going to go wrong and there's other fundamental truths of course but these are so substantial and so foundational that we need to take a close look at them uh, today and then decide what to do about them um, these blocks that he's building, these foundational principles, are about his son and his redemptive work on our behalf. In fact, he speaks about who God is, and he speaks about what he has done for all of us and what his role should be in our daily lives. But when he's speaking about Christ in Colossians 1, starting, we'll start with verse 14 through 21. He says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, speaking of Christ, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. We forget that sometimes. The firstborn of every creature. He's the first one in order of appearance. And now we'll read, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth. He was right there creating all of the things that God created, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. 
and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, and that's proteo, that word that's used there. It means that Christ is first in the order of appearance, the first thing that God made, and the first in rank or authority. So he's first in both of those things. The first thing that God did before time began. And he's the first in order and authority and rank. If anybody teaches anything different, and the pastor has done such a wonderful job bringing to light what's going on out there it has been going on for a long time it's getting worse and God's put it on his heart to to bring it to our attention um, Christ is first in order of appearance and he's first in rank Pleroma means completeness completeness nothing is lacking so in him should all fullness dwell and having made peace through his through the blood of the of his cross by him to reconcile apocadalaso to reunite or in complete harmony that's his function reunite us all in in complete harmony all things unto himself by him I say, whether they be things on earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. <clears throat> Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. To present you holy and unblameable, amomos, which means without blame, spot, or faultless, blameless, and unreprovable, which is anencletos, without blame in his sight. It's as though he's saying with uh, amomos um, a, a picturesque uh, description of us being spotless meaning without blame and then he follows that with a with a verbal or text word anacletos which says we're without blame so he's re repeating himself through Christ Christ did all of that what's happening today People are saying, well, he was a good teacher. How does that compare to what we just read? Well, he was a good teacher. That's how the devil does it. There's just that little snippet of truth. But it's a misquote. It's a misdirection. And it guides people away from the scriptures instead of toward the living God. So let's begin our lesson. 
When we believe with these and other fundamental understandings, the ones we've just read, we wonder how in the world could man think that he could somehow edit, omit, amend, alter any of those changes of what God's word has established or whom Christ is and what his authority is in the church. Yet the basis of Gnosticism is in defiance of these fundamental truths. Gnosticism is very hard to explain because it's a, because it's a moving target. <clears throat> let, me, let me show you what I mean here. It's going to take a minute. Over 40 years ago, man, that seems like a long time. I was a young guy, and the Lord had given us some success in the company I was in. And we were up at the home office, living in New Jersey. Truth in lending was made law by Congress. And as part of that, we we now even use it today in every loan that we ever do of any kind, and it's called APR, Annual Percentage Rate. The calculations are complex, very, very complex. What was happening is that people were coming up with their own formulas and ideas on how to collect how to uh, collect interest on loans and it was known by various names because there was different ways to calculate it and by confusing everyone they could uh, charge you pretty much what they wanted and call it eight <clears throat> percent somebody else could call call their seven percent but it was actually nine or ten percent <laughs> when you were and so it was decided we need to have one way of computing APR. Whatever else you did, you had to disclose APR, annual percentage rate, according to the calculations, so that what you stated was true and people would be uh, informed so that they could make an informed decision. Well, um, <laughs> one of the most expensive loans was called a discount loan. What do you think people asked for when they went in to get a loan? <laughs> okay. One of the people at my company was still one of the smartest people that, except for my wife, one of the smartest people that I ever had business dealings with. I mean, he was amazing and math genius in my estimation. One of the first things he did was go to Washington and he proved to them that their calculations were wrong when, complete, when computing APR. <laughs> and prove it to him and they had to change their calculations. Well, this gave us an edge up on the competition as you might imagine. It was an important part of our business. It wasn't all of it, but it was an important part of it. And he had hired a guy that was an expert in algorithms. I won't bore you with all the details. Algorithms 
are a group of instructions that have to be written to tell a computer how to, in this case, how to complete complicated math formulas, equations, calculations. And it has to be very thorough, step by step. It's not the coding itself. You give the algorithms to the people that put the coding in the computer. And they have to work together to make sure everything's right. It's very complicated. Well, this expert wrote 35 pages, handwritten carefully, the algorithms that were necessary to do these complex mathematical calculations. See what I mean? Now they were both heroes in the company, and they should have been. They were both geniuses in their own mind, in their own. <laughs> and it, <coughs> yeah, and they didn't hesitate to tell us that. But they were, and and I was in a meeting where the the boss there of the two was John, and he said, you know, he he was an expert in applied math and the other guy was an expert in math theory to which I said oh <laughs> well he was giving as a dissertation to us a few of us executive boardroom of these algorithms and he was taking us through and I was listening trying to act like I understood it all because I had a responsibility to to train the field and there were 1200 salesmen and so I was pretty nervous <laughs> I would have been asleep by page five or six you know but I was thoroughly intimidated and thoroughly impressed with Mr. Algorithm now an algorithm you know what that is now it's not a collection of witty statements by Al Gore. <laughs> Algorithms are complex. And he was on seven or eight or nine page, pages through that 35 page summary. And his boss John in the back of the room said, wait a minute. And uh, when your boss says that, you wait a minute. So you got a mistake here on page two. Look at page two right below the middle. I still remember <laughs> after all these years. And Mark, not this Mark, but Mark was in three-corner pants when all this was happening, okay? <laughs> He's a young guy. I was grown. <clears throat> but um, Mark looked down and John proved to him that he made a mistake. And all of a sudden, the glow around Mark's head had left. And he became more just like the rest of us. And very sheepishly, with red face, he said, you're right, John. And not only did it break his professional pride, it broke his heart. And, I mean, he stood there a slain man in front of all of us. I felt he was a new friend, only been with the company a month. And, and in the later days, I tried to console him as best I could, you know, be his friend. Wouldn't be. It was 
the most damaging thing that ever happened to him. And um, he knew that the next day he would have to start again from where the mistake was and complete the rest of it. In fact, John made it clear. This is wrong. That means the whole thing is wrong. You can't have a, the right answer. Page two, mistake. 35 pages, they're gone. And, of course, the boss was mad. we losing valuable time in the marketplace. He says, I don't want, to wait. I don't want you to wait. start at page two tomorrow. You come in page one, first line. Figure out why you made that mistake. Oh, he was mad. And Mark was crushed. And I always remember that. In the later years, I figured, you know, I think that's probably my best description and definition of Gnosticism. All of those theories, and Mark again looks pretty smart to me because the Gnosticism folks didn't even make it to page two. Page one, paragraph one, it's wrong. That means that all the 35 pages or more that follow are wrong and they'll never be right. And there's never anything you can do to fix them until you go back and fix the first error, the fundamental block that was used as the basis for everything else. That's what Gnosticism is, in my mind. And that's the best way I can define it. How do you fix a bad idea? Well, what they've decided to do is come up with a second and a third and a fourth bad idea to find, try to fix the holes in the first bad idea. And that's why it's always changing. And that's why it's so hard to describe. Because through the centuries, it's changed nearly with every generation trying to fix the original bad ideas. Sometimes a new name pops up and they start with a different bad idea. Page one, paragraph one. And then that goes forth. But now there's two of them. Then there's three of them. Then there's four of them. The Gnosticism. Known by other names, let's call it something else. People are still doing that. It's not just something that happens in theology. Everybody knows about CRT. Last week, Governor Newsom, California, declared that there were not teaching CRT, but every student who wants to graduate high school in California will pass ethnic history. Same curriculum. Same thing. I like to say it's the same dog, different bite, or the same bite, different dog. However you want to look at it, it's, in this case, the same bite, different dog. Same curriculum, different name. Okay. To me, it's like if you said, what's the description of Gnosticism? Well, that's going to take a long time for me to tell you because it's changing. It changes all the time. If I were to stand on a hill and had the ability to take a bow and arrow 
and someone said, what is the position of that arrow? I'd say, well, the position is, oh, wait, now it's over. Well, now it's over here. No, wait, now. Okay, wait till the arrow lands, and then I'll tell you the position of the arrow. Here's the thing. With narcissism, the arrow never, <laughs> it's never ended yet. That's narcissism. Absolutely. They want to ignore what and the, really the NOS means to know. Well, they don't know, <laughs> but they like to call themselves Gnostics. Okay, so how do you pick, fix a bad idea? Well, you should fix it <laughs> by going back to the mistake and fixing that. They don't do that. They just come up, they just patch it with another bad idea. Um, I, I once read a testimony of someone who was a converted atheist scientist. And he made a very interesting statement. I just, it just stopped me. Here it is. One day I figured out that I didn't have enough faith to believe in evolution anymore. <laughs> That's a different kind of statement, isn't it? He said, you know, first of all, to be an evolutionist, you have to believe that a living thing could evolve from absolutely nothing. Many of the evolutionists are Gnosticists, and vice versa. And when they start with their proclamations, they start on page five or six or seven, or what page one says. Page one has to say something began from nothing. Life began with how, and as far back as they go, well, we've got these organisms, see, and it was a single cell, and then from that, no, oh, you're not, you're still on page three or four. Let's go back further. Go back to page one. Let's talk about page one. That's the story of Gnosticism. That's the story of evolution. That's all of these alternate theories. Stacy, as, as she mentioned, are man's alternate theology. How is this possible? It's something that could come from nothing. This is another one of the theories. Didn't even make it to page two. <laughs> page one, paragraph one. It's an error. Here's the tragedy, and you've seen it. I've seen it. Tragedy of tragedies is when people of faith no longer believe in their salvation experience and begin to believe the lie. They believed Colossians. They believed other fundamental principles that Paul and the other writers have established that coordinate with each other in truth. And they depart from it. It doesn't just happen all at once. It keep, creeps in very slowly. It slowly, slowly changes. Many historians and theologians believe that Gnosticism, uh, known by many other names, as you know, began in the first century and was for the most part separated from the church, the end of the second century. 
and ever since then it's been creeping back in it has been creeping back in and I wanted to read some fundamental truths first to show you what I mean my own belief is that Gnosticism began in the Garden of, Enemy, of, of Eden by the enemy himself the enemy Satan misquoted what God had said to Adam Next, Eve answered Satan with the, the scripture, the word, but she added to the word. He didn't correct her misquote there, her addition. In fact, I think he rather enjoyed it. And then he told the lie. In fact, I think he told four lies. I'll show you what I mean. Let's look at this because it sets up a pattern that we can easily see if we know what the pattern is. This is what God said, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Pretty simple, straightforward. Shouldn't be any miscommunication there or misunderstanding. Well, this is what Satan later said to Eve. It wasn't much later, just a few verses. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said... Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. It's a paraphrase. There's some truth in it. And yet it's constructed to be a, to, to sound more limiting, isn't it? More limiting than what God said. Just a subtle misquote. That's how it begins. Well, here's what Eve said to the serpent. And, the, and these are verses one after the other. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. Well, there's the addition. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. I can understand how maybe Adam had said, don't even touch it. Hey, my mama would have said, don't you dare touch that tree. <laughs> I can hear her tell me that. Listen, young man, don't you ever touch that. <laughs> I'll get a switch. Okay, mom, okay. <laughs> but when you add to the scripture, look what happens. One day she could just touch it and she doesn't die. Well, God didn't say she'd die then she's not going to believe the rest of it either. But before that, she had a conversation with the serpent, and that's what happened. So he enjoys the addition, doesn't say anything about it, and this is uh, what Satan said to Eve. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. That's the big lie number one. Ye shall not surely die. 
For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Did God say anything about that? There's a second lie. And ye shall be as gods. There's the third lie. Knowing good and evil. Well, God said you'd die. How are you going to know good? <laughs> if you take it literally, right? He didn't say any of those things. He just said you'll die. So he told four lies, didn't he? But he started with the misquote. Gnosticism today and for centuries have promoted such theories as you make your own heaven or hell right here on earth. Has anyone not heard that? It's prevalent today. It slowly evolves, not just one step after that, but it evolves to things like if it's right for you, then it's right. It's evolving to uh, salvation is about enlightenment. Enlightenment. It's about knowledge versus lack of knowledge. Um, not salvation through Christ. Knowledge. And we don't call it Gnosticism anymore. But same bite different dog different name on that dog same bite evolving to God is in you as the scripture says therefore you are God to know good and evil in your own right one of Satan's most effective appeals to mankind has always been to make a person a God of and for himself in one way or another. He did it in the garden. He's been doing it ever since. Still, such practices, uh, or Satan practices this plan of evil entrapment today. So, first, Satan influences people to either misquote or misinterpret scripture. All right, next step. Then he mover, maneuvers his subtlety in such a way as to make his misquote the basis for good and evil, the basis for right and wrong, become not the scriptures. If he can take the subject some way to misquote, take it off the scripture. His plan works. What's Gnosticism doing? That. That. Then he maneuvers subtly to make his misquote the basis for right or wrong, falsehood, truth or falsehood, not the original scripture. Effectively, it's the same way as he succeeded in the garden. Oh, he'll happily allow believers to add or alter the scripture all by themselves. <laughs> he just sort of si gives that silent applause, you know. He likes that. He'll let that happen. 
And then he inspires the lie using his misquote as the basis for right and wrong, not the original scripture. See how that works? Here's an example. You might remember this. It's been a few years ago now, a, a couple, maybe three or four. There was a minister of a, of, and I'm not gonna talk about which church or it's not in order for me to do, but a liberal, very large, Protestant church. He was the minister there. And um, he married two homosexual men in the church. Oh, the church fathers had a fit. You can't do that. And immediately it hit the news. And the story became these big shot dinosaurs who run the big shot church picking on this little minister trying to do good. That was the storyline. And one day on the news he was talking to a reporter trying to get to the bottom of the story. And tearfully he said all, all I did was to put together two people who sincerely loved each other and, and, and didn't Jesus say that love was the most important thing? See how the misquote became the basis for right and wrong instead of what the scripture said? There's your Gnosticism. And didn't Jesus say that love? Uh, makes the back of my neck stand up with hair. Just That's where the hair is, so it sticks up. But you see what Satan had been doing in the life of that minister? It didn't happen right away. It was a process of years. So how do we make sure that this spiritual cancer does not enter our midst and change who we are? That's where big decisions have to be made, isn't it? And if it happens, then we know what's next. Well, one thing we do that's all important is obedience. You know that already. Holiness and righteousness, you know that already. We have to do that. Growing in Christ daily through prayer. In my mind, I think of those first two things as defense. Obedience and holiness and righteousness. I see those as defense. I've always likened things to sports anyway. Love sports of all kinds. Here comes the all friends. Growing in Christ daily through prayer, 
study of God's word, applying practical ministries to others as we are directed by the Holy Spirit. Reaching out, doing what we are purposed to do. That's offense. The more time we spend with that, the less time we have for nonsense. Paul wrote this to the Colossian church in, the next, in, in chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Mortify, that means put to death. Mortify, therefore, your members. Now, he's not talking about the other church member, okay? <laughs> Let's get that straight right up front. <laughs> don't, mo- don't mortify the other members. That, that word <laughs> means part of your own body. Okay, mortify members of your own body, not the body of Christ. Which are upon the earth, fornication, which is unlawful lust, adultery, incest, idolatry, uncleanness, lewd, physical, and moral impurity, inordinate affection, which is inappropriate affection or lust, evil concupiscence, inappropriate desire controlled by sin, and covetousness, which of course is greed, which is idolatry. That whole bunch of things there comes under the umbrella of idolatry. Why is that? Because it becomes the God they serve rather than the God we should serve. That's a form of idolatry, yes. Think about how we're supposed to um, channel our passions toward our one God. So if that passion all these really fall under that passionate pursuit. You know, yes. lust. And we could lust, you know, we can lust after God because that is a desire. That is, mm-hmm. you know, that's our first love sort of however you want to say it. But when you start doing, applying that principle to anything else in this world, right. you've got yourself another God. You've yes. got yourself something else you're serving. Thank you. And does and that... I've actually never seen it that way until you phrased it this way. I think that's really interesting. And does that become part of this uh, man's alternative theology? Oh, sure. Sure. That's what it is. Yeah, placating your own desire over... Absolutely. Yeah. Well done. And how easy it is to get people to do that. It is. Because even as a Christian, we want to fulfill our own desire, but we have to surrender that. We have to continue. That dying, dying daily thing was said for a reason. Yes. <laughs> yeah. was not talking about your hair. <laughs> Okay, so service, idolatry is service to or making of another God. That's what Stacy's saying. For which, things sa- uh, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man and his deeds. That's verses 5 through 9 of chapter 3. Well, that's what we get rid of. To me, that's defense, okay? Let's talk about offense. Things you put on. Those are verses 5 through 14. I'm sorry, 10 through 14. And have put on the new man, 
which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, which is a savage, bond or nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, which is inward affection and tender mercies, kindness, goodness and gentleness is what that is, humbleness of mind, modesty, lowliness of our own minds, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. <coughs> In Texas, that means putting up with somebody. <laughs> okay. Putting up to endure each other, to bear with. Because not everybody's walking the same road. <laughs> okay? So we have to put up with them. And forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness which means completeness of mental and moral character and perfection. Any comments? Stacy had a good comment a minute ago. Anybody want to add something? Well, just along with the making something else a god, and I think people, when they walk away from their first love or from the beginning chapter one things may start going well for them and they see it as God's will as they move on but there's also a death to the soul when they do that and mm -hmm. there's a kind of an erasing of emotions where that death of the soul is no longer recognized and they keep moving forward and moving forward and moving forward in that. Yes. Can we see in, in light of what we've written, writ, uh, what God has written and we've just read in chapter one of Colossians, that Christ was the first thing that God did. Mm -hmm. And then everything else was built and created for him and by him. And he's not only first in order of appearance, he is first in authority and power and the head of the church. Mm -hmm. Okay, those are some simple fundamentals, but highly important. And we can see immediately when some faction is not doing that within their midst. Some other church, uh, the church of what's happening now, down the street, <laughs> that's Flip Wilson's church, okay? <laughs> what they're doing, what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Well, he was a good preacher. He's like some of those other good preachers. No, he's God. <laughs> okay? That's right. He's number one. If he's not number one in your theory, you didn't even make it to page two. Yeah. And that means everything else that you say is wrong. Yeah. Uh, and they find some of the most elite and educated people to stand up there 
and say, follow my ego. I mean, follow what I say because of my ego. And you know it's the ego that's driving because the theories don't make sense. But they're said in such a way as they do because they don't tell you about page one and two. They, they pick it up, story up later, mm -hmm. the part that really makes sense. And when it no longer makes sense because people are asking too many questions, there's a patch. It's a bad idea that covers up the other bad ideas that came before it. And they follow that because they got so many degrees. I don't care if they have more degrees than Dr. Fahrenheit. Okay. <laughs> it's wrong. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like my friend Mark who, he's my friend Mark too, but the guy that way back when, his work from page two to page 35 broke new territory. It had never been done before. <laughs> the first pass on something that never been done before could be a mistake, right? I can yeah. understand that. And, and he made it and he fixed it and we went on to be very successful in that field. But they don't go back to page two and fix it. They come up with a, another bad idea to try to cover it. Or they spend their time in the later pages and try to get people to forget about page one where the error was, page two, where the error was. See what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's Gnosticism. I think they're always trying to find a new way to make people feel good about their sin. Yeah. There you go. Man's alternative theology. Yes. And, and you know, there is a very strong man-pleasing spirit in the church because you're wanting to grow your church, and you think the only way you can do that is if you say things that people can agree to. So if you're too hard on them or you really spell it out, then, of course, they're going to walk away mad mm -hmm. because you, they were preaching at you about your sin or whatever. And I just feel like it's in the general church. I mean, at least there's one thing the Baptists had right, and then they just mm -hmm. always nailed the sin, although they went out yeah. and smoked right afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they still at least spoke what it was. Right. And they, you know, they, they were still hammering that one message. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they weren't living it. A lot of them. I'm not saying all of them, obviously, but we do know that, that those phrases are coined today because <laughs> there's truth in the, the, you know, just like the Catholics who all go get drunk and then they go to mass so that they can, you know, be forgiven of all confession they do. But confession. It hasn't changed their lives in the least, you yes. know. But, but yeah. the preachers stopped doing that. And yeah. society as a whole has almost followed that lead through these social issues that have started to kind of unearth and turn everything upside down yeah. to what's right is wrong, what's wrong is right. It started in the church, I believe, with, well, you, that, yeah. with that switch. Because, you know, with preachers always hammering at the truth, at least the people who were going were hearing it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But the breakdown, began, I think, became more sure. prominent when the church wouldn't even stand up for righteousness. Yeah. Yeah, and you see it a lot now mm -hmm. and more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Certainly that's the enemy's agenda. I mean, that's his whole... That's the enemy's purpose. Since the, like you said, since man was created, that his yeah. agenda. Sure. So, so in, in 
theory in, in philosophy, in behavior, in statements of faith, when we are not putting Christ first, it's wrong at that point. And no matter what else happens after that, or how good it sounds, it's wrong, it'll never be right, until you go back and fix what was wrong on page two or page one. See what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's where it's wrong. That's where it's gotta be fixed. Building on a bad foundation just doesn't work. Evolution. How many times has evolution changed their story? If, I don't know, if, if we were all to have evolved from monkeys, how come there's still monkeys? Right. Did you ever ask yourself that? <laughs> Why do we still have them anyway, if we all evolved from them? They just haven't evolved yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, so. So there's holes that need to be patched, and when they're patched, it's another bad idea covering up the other bad ideas. And, and that's what it is, and that's an, uh, any alternate, theolo alternate theology we can put under the umbrella of to know, Gnosticism, and they're gonna call it whatever they wanna call it. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what they call it, that's what it is. Same bite, different dog. Um, almost immediately, when we look at Gnosticism, which includes the altering of scripture under any recent name, and the declaring of ourselves as being the last word on salvation of the soul or the heart or the mind, we can't help but see the same things that are present in things that we should put off. You remember the things we should put off? We're supposed to motiv um, um, mortify fornication and cleanliness and ordinate affection, uh, evil concupiscence, covetousness, all of those things that are idolatry, okay? The same thing, there's a common thread with Gnosticism and the things that we are to put off. There's an underlying selfish desire to declare that I come first in all matters. It's all about me. That's true. It's me, me, me. It's mm -hmm. about me. I'm taking care. I've been wanting to pray for you on that. Thank you. <laughs> Aren't I being nice not saying you? <laughs> I'm care of myself above all things above even above God I'm taking care of myself first that's the common thread mm -hmm. I can do this if I want I can do that if I want it doesn't matter what other people think it doesn't matter what and I know you can carry that too far as well is Jesus coming first is is God the North Star of your life. Mm -hmm. Amen. On the other hand, when we look at the things that we should put on, and 
you know, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, put on charity, all of those things that we should put on. What's the common thread there? We're placing or last. Putting off, Gnosticism, departing from the word, put yourself first. Putting on, put yourself behind, or last, if you want to look at it that way. And while doing that, believing God's promise that we will be far happier in this life and again in the next during eternity, if we live the sacrificial life. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? When it makes sense, then it's so easy to see when someone comes around and tries to change your ideas. That's true. I had a typical Assembly of God uh, family in a typical Assembly of God church and raised that way. And as a child, when I was growing up and people would ask me where I went to church and I would tell them, kids talk to each other, you know. Well, what does that church believe? Oh, that's easy. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't mm. do this. I can't do this, I can't do this. All that's defense. It's good, in a way, if you know why you're not doing it. <laughs> what I'm trying to get to is balance. Mm -hmm. Defense, gotta have it. Offense, gotta have it. You ever see a team win when they never scored? Got to have the offense. Got to. And putting on is our offense. If we're not putting off, excuse me, if we're not putting on, putting off becomes the only thing we do and life becomes drudgery and not happy at we're all. <laughs> Pardon me? Then we're a Buddhist because yeah. I just put off. Yeah, and, and we're not happy at all if we're not putting on. We can't be. And so. I don't think there can be a true putting off unless you're putting on. Right. I think there's things you can abstain from. I'll agree that with that. That doesn't mean the lusts don't still exist. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, I don't, I don't think you can truly, mat, you know, overcome those things. Well, would you be living an Old Testament type of life? In my view, it would be like that, wouldn't it? It would. All you're doing is putting off. You're not putting on. Well, I was, yeah. whenever you were talking about the sacrificial life, it doesn't have to be something that is drudgery. You know, when you put off, there's also a gladness in that because to me, in my, in my understanding, there's a freeing there. And then you can, you know, joyfully put on, you know, and you still have a life of laughter and love and caring and sharing and giving, 
but you don't have the carnal issues, you know, that are the putting off. Excellent. Well done. Well done. Thank you. I pray that each of us will hear and heed the warning. The Holy Spirit is certain to send to us when we are confronting a teaching, a philosophy, or a behavior that subtly begins to place ourselves above the purposes of God and his desire for our Christian walk. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is. Doesn't matter what it is. Whatever does that, we've got to put off. Well, Paul immediately follows a, with a sevenfold admonition to Christian living and worship after telling us what to put on. Once you put on, as you're talking about, Kathy, mm -hmm. once you put on, let's look at these next verses, 15 through 17. And this is because this is what you're saying. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye have called, excuse me, ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. That sounds to me like we will have a much happier life after putting off and then putting on. Mm -hmm. Far happier in this life and in the life to come in eternity than anything the enemy of our souls would have to offer right now. Amen. Because we know what he offers later, don't That's we? Right. Gnosticism just doesn't come up and slap you in the face. It sneaks. It sneaks in. We saw it sneak in in the Garden of Eden. It's been sneaking in ever since. It was removed from the church. They kicked them all out. And they've been coming back ever since. Not in this church. We pray. Amen. <laughs> I didn't hear any amens, but one. Okay. <laughs> but the thing is, if we if we understand these fundamental things, like I've been talking about, then we under, we we can't help but see it, and see it immediately, and then listen to the Holy Spirit to know what to do about it. That's what I'm trying to get across today: is that we see it, and it's that's what slaps us in the face, mm -hmm. and it's the Holy Spirit saying no. No. What's funny is how it's so important to them to change what Christians believe. Right. I mean, there's so many religions, but they just don't want us to believe what we believe. It's so funny to me how that is their focus. Well, yes. That's the truth they want to change. Because you do have, I mean, Buddhism and all these other, you know, higher inspirational living, you know, philosophies have have stolen their principles from the word. I mean, of course, they're twisted in some ways, but 
you know. Right. I mean, they're they're all about being good people, if you know what I mean. And yet, they're not attacking any of that. They yeah. only attack the word. They only attack what we're believing. Mm-hmm. Why does that matter to them? Why does it matter that we are following that path? Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's so strange to me, but they don't. They want our acceptance. They want us to put a stamp of approval on what they're doing. Well, in my view, that's because that's what the enemy does. Well, I know, but it's and just who a, are they following? Right. But it, that's just the funny. Enemy. That, to me, that's just what's yeah. so obvious about it. It is. And that's I'm trying to get that across too. It becomes obvious to us, doesn't it? It's so obvious. It sticks out like a sore thumb mm-hmm. or a sore hand. It sticks out. Yeah. It does. Amen. Good teaching, Dennis. Thank you. Very good. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Okay. Well, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your guidance today and I thank you Lord that you're blessing your people and I pray that your Holy Spirit will just teach us all as we uh, think about what's gone on in this last hour in Jesus name Amen